Welcome back to Charlottesville Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. I'm your host, Mary Garner-McGee, and I'm bringing you this podcast from my apartment, where I've been spending a lot of time recently, a feeling I'm sure many of you can relate to. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM. It also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. This week on Soundboard, we cover the issue that has changed all of our lives in some way or other the past two weeks, the novel coronavirus. We talked to Dr. Leanne Webb, an assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Virginia, about how the health system prepares for a crisis like this one. But first, we sit down with Charlottesville tomorrow to talk about how the region has responded to the virus and how it has impacted the health and the economic security of people in our community. So let's start with a question that hopefully we're all asking each other a little bit more often right now. How are you all doing? <laughs> it's been a little stressful and tiring. It hasn't been anything I really haven't done before. I mean, as far as covering breaking news, but it is extremely tiring. <laughs> uh, where are you all working right now? We're all working from home. Uh, the city has all but closed city space so if we really need to show up in the office to do something we can go there without having to worry about anyone else who could be potentially carrying the virus being there and also the city has thoroughly cleaned the building so that's a, another thing that makes me feel better that if I have to come in there. I'm also recording this from my apartment. We're also pretty much working from home. So this past week has been a little surreal. Can you tell me about a moment or something that you saw this week or wrote about that really stuck with you? The thing that really stuck with me was earlier last week of being in the office and seeing people walking around on the mall, uh, Sky Bar, which is diagonally across from where Charlottesville tomorrow is, was completely filled on the rooftop bar and then about 24 hours later, the mall was just completely barren. Wow. Yeah, that's really different <laughs> really quickly. So let's start with some of the frequently asked questions on your website. Okay. If you're sick, should you get tested or stay home? They're suggesting that if you feel mildly, like, off, you know you feel sick, but you're not, you don't feel, like, terribly sick, you should just uh, stay home for at least 14 days, except to check in with your doctor. But if things feel absolutely awful or you think that it's an emergency, to contact the hospital. What is the threshold for really awful? What are some of the symptoms that should prompt someone to call their doctor or call the hospital or the health department? COVID-19 is a respiratory illness, so... If you are having a lot of those symptoms, like you feel like a heaviness in your chest or you're having trouble breathing, that's definitely the time to check in with a doctor and let's say, like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling like this is really affecting my lungs. Today's the first day of spring. It's also allergy season. So if you're sneezing and your nose is running, it's most likely that and not COVID-19. What types of pre-existing medical conditions make people most susceptible to serious complications? One thing that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have said that if you have 
chronic medical conditions, and some of the examples they listed were heart disease, diabetes, and lung disease that would make you successful to it. They've also mentioned that if you're an older person, uh, they're saying over 60, that you should uh, try to avoid contact with other people. As of late, we've been seeing a lot more cases in younger people. Originally, there had been conflicting reports about how young people are getting milder symptoms or aren't really catching it at all. But everyone should try to keep their social distance at this point. I haven't left my house in three days. All I've done is walk my dog and like roundabout way to make certain that there's no one around us. How long does it typically take to get results if you're tested? The health department said like this has been uh, varying daily, but it usually takes between four and seven days to get results back. They've been uh, also having outside commercial labs or doing some testing, so hopefully that speeds things up pretty soon. Can you all give us an update about school closures? So far, earlier this week, uh, Arbor County Public Schools has said they're going to close through at least April 10th. The uh, city schools haven't updated beyond what Governor Ralph Northam said uh, last week, but I'm suspecting that they're going to extend their break as well. Colleges and universities have effectively shut down throughout the state through the end of the semester. And we haven't heard an awful lot from the private schools here, but I'm sure that they're also following everyone else's leads. What resources are there for parents who are suddenly having to homeschool their kids? So there's a lot of uh, resources online. Uh, Billy John Louis, one of our reporters, he wrote an article yesterday which has a extensive list that uh, someone at the Curry School at UVA has put together of a lot of resources. And they're also suggesting that this is a good opportunity to also teach children out in nature. We're lucky that we have a lot of rural areas, a lot of parkland, so it still is possible to get your kids out and get some of their energy out and still learn things without having to worry about being really too close in the contact with each other. Another thing that we heard was that the National Park Service has also waived their fees, so if you're up to it. You can take your kids out to the Blue Ridge Parkway, Skyline Drive, hopefully like find a quiet spot where no one else is around, and you can teach them about trees and plants and things like that, or just to get some fresh air. That's very cool. I remember when I was a kid, the national parks had a lot of educational resources for kids that you could print out and take with you ahead of time and stuff like that. So the virus obviously poses a serious medical risk, but it also has disrupted a lot of services that people in the community rely on to survive. How can people access nutritional support at this time? Right now, the, uh, the school systems are offering breakfast and lunches for students, and they have various locations set up around the city and the county. There are also some restaurants that are turn into carry-out only, and some of them have drastically reduced their prices or are offering things for free if people can't afford it. At this time, have you all heard about layoffs? We've heard a few things about layoffs. Uh, our reporters are working on confirming some things now. A lot of it has been in the restaurant sector. Thankfully, the governor has relaxed some of the rules for unemployment now to help fill some of those gaps. And there's also some organizations such as Support Seville that are 
exchanging uh, ideas for people to uh, get help and also if they are able to help. And there's also a Facebook group where people are uh, setting up like mutual aid. Hey, here's a way to find this thing out or I'm offering this service or I can do this for you if you're elderly and you don't feel comfortable getting out of your home. It's been really good to see that the community has sprung into action to work together right now. And that Facebook page is called Mutual Aid Infrastructure-Charlottesville? Yes. More broadly, what impact is the virus having on local businesses and workers? People are thankfully keeping their social distance. There's like beyond restaurants, there's other retail companies that they have difficulties in delivering certain things. Those businesses are struggling. We've also were at the very beginning of our major tourism season here. So there's wineries and wedding venues and all of those vendors who are also struggling because a lot of these events aren't moving forward. With the exception of the health system, the university is operating in a very limited capacity. What impact has that had on the local economy and workers? The university has announced that there a lot of their employees, especially the ones who aren't contract employees, are still going to get paid for the time being. So that is one thing that's been good for our local economy. But they also said that at some point, if this continues, they'll have to reassess that. So it's still in the back of everyone's head that things are okay for now. But since there's still so much uncertainty, things could eventually change. What about housing? What resources are available to people who are unhoused or can't make a rent payment? What about people in public housing or with a voucher? So far, the state and other organizations have announced that there's been a suspension of eviction proceedings. A lot of utilities aren't going to get shut off at this point. As far as uh, people who are unhoused, there's still organizations that are working at a uh, kind of a bare bones capacity to try to connect those people to services that are still open. So I went to a couple grocery stores last weekend just trying to buy enough food for the next week, and it was a post-apocalyptic scene in there. How long should we expect to see scarcity for things like toilet paper and canned beans? A lot of it stems from people who are panic buying. A lot of the supply chains are still working as normally But if everyone rushes in and buys a lot of the toilet paper at once, then it's just off the shelves for a few days. One thing that I've seen from other news coverage is that because the rolls of toilet paper are in big bulky containers and you can't really do anything to make them smaller, they only buy but so many packages. And then what's on the shelf is pretty much what's there until the truck comes in again a few days later. So if you do go to the store and something is out, don't completely panic. My dad's have to keep checking every now and then to see if something is back in stock again. Some stores are allowing like, you to do online orders or curbside pickup. So uh, people don't have to rush in all at once and try to grab everything that they can. Because that's also, if we're trying to keep our social distance, everyone rushing to the grocery store at once seems very contradictory to that right now. The state issued a ban on gatherings of more than 10 people. In what situations does this apply? It's applying a lot to uh, restaurants and bars and other social meeting places that some of them were still trying to operate in some sort of capacity up until this ban was put into place. I've heard from students at the University of Virginia that there were 
people who were still trying to meet and hang out when there were a few nicer days earlier in the week. We have to really stop doing that. The governor also gave law enforcement the power to enforce that ban of no more than 10 people. Has there been concern that this might disproportionately affect people and communities of color? I haven't heard anything about that yet, but I'm under the impression that this really is applying to businesses, and I don't think that they're going to be going into neighborhoods to see, like, if someone's Mm -hmm. throwing a party, for example. But please don't throw any parties right now. Party of one in my apartment right now. (laughs) Yeah, right now is me and my spouse and my dog, and that is it, and that is all it's going to be. And the dogs can't get it, so they're safe. All right, I keep hearing, don't panic, prepare. What should those of us who are healthy or at a low risk be doing right now? If you are healthy or you are at a very low risk, and if you are able to help these organizations or these groups to get things to people who aren't well, that is one good thing to do. And the other thing is that if you can't or you don't feel comfortable doing that, is just continue to keep your social distance. That you don't want to have that on your conscience that you could have potentially transmitted the virus to someone else, although you feel fine. All right. It seems kind of silly to ask this last question, but is there anything on your calendar this week, even virtual? Still meeting up virtually every day at Charlottesville tomorrow. There's still some things that life is kind of going on still. The city and the county are still trying to have some meetings. I don't have anything particularly on my calendar beyond just meeting with the staff as much as possible through virtual means. I've been watching a lot of bad reality TV. (laughs) A lot of the days I've been working into the night. I will watch TV for at least an hour to unplug and disengage. I don't care how terrible the show is. I just need a bit of that distraction. And I think that's kind of what all of us need is just like to take a point out of our daily lives to kind of just unplug from the stream of news. I mean, this is coming from a journalist, so... Yes, it is important to keep in touch with everything that's going on, but please take a break for your mental health. Thank you so much, Elliot. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that's no problem. Elliot Robinson is the editor of Charlottesville Tomorrow. You're listening to Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the University of Virginia. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, celebrating 30 years of protecting the South's environment and the people who depend on it for health and well-being. Power of the Law, Southern Environmental Law Center. Lewis Reining brings us the next segment with Dr. Leanne Webb. We're talking today with Dr. Leanne Webb, uh, who's on faculty with emergency medicine, public health sciences at UVA. Dr. Webb, I'm hoping we can start off and you can maybe walk us through just some questions, a lot of confusion out there, things that are unclear or, or people don't understand. If you are someone who is exhibiting symptoms and thinks you should be tested, what is the procedure you follow? Who do you contact or how do you figure out who to contact to go and try and get tested? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So the first thing is if you are having symptoms or you've been in close contact with someone with COVID-19, 
Um, or even if you're just concerned a uh, resident in the community where there's an ongoing or rapid spread of COVID-19, the first thing you should really do is call your health care provider and tell them about your symptoms and tell them about your exposure. They will then decide whether you need to be tested. Um, but keep in mind that there is no treatment for COVID-19 that's been FDA approved at this time. And people who are mildly ill may be able to just self-isolate and care for themselves at home. So the first thing to do would be to call your doctor. If you do not have a primary care doctor, you can call your insurance company if you happen to have insurance without a primary care doctor. You can go to cdc.gov where they have a coronavirus self-checker. Um, and finally, for um, us in our communities, you can go to like the UVA website and you can go to, I'm sure you can go to Martha Jefferson's website as well, um, where they're number of resources of um, how you can go about talking to someone to see if you need testing, because at this time, all of the testing is by referral through a primary care doctor. If you don't have a primary care doctor, you're in a tougher space. And we're actually seeing um, on places like social media, like Twitter, for instance, there are people who are wanting to get tested. They don't have a doctor and they are calling hotline after hotline and sort of being passed off. If that happens to you um, and you're mildly ill and you can self-isolate and care for yourself at home, then you should do that. And um, if you feel like you're, you're very ill, um, so common symptoms would be you know, fever, cough, difficulty breathing. If you feel like you're in a really tough spot, you can come to the emergency department and we will check you out and sort of triage you there. We are really trying to keep people out of the emergency department as much as possible, but we do know that a fraction of patients who have COVID-19 will become really sick and we will definitely care for you there. We're open 24 hours, seven days a week. Can you give us um, a little bit of an explanation of how the testing actually works? Yes. So... The coronavirus is what we call an RNA virus. So that's looking at the genetic sequence of the, the virus itself. The test, uh, the samples are taken with a swab when you, when you get a referral. Um, this, the testing is taken with a swab, preferably from the back of the patient's nose um, to get a, a sample of the patient's cells, similar to flu testing that so many of us have gotten before. And once that sample goes to the lab, they're checking to see whether the patient's cells are infected with the virus. If the genetic material of the virus is found in the sample, that person is infected with the virus. Initially, the CDC was actually performing all of the testing. And then after mounting pressure, the FDA approved commercial or private labs to make the test. Um, and those really came on board in early March. And now institutions and like health systems are racing to make their own tests. In fact, UVA just announced yesterday that we have created a test um, in-house and they're ramping up testing capacity as we speak. One of the things I really want to ask about the test kits is just we've heard so much about uh, how difficult it has been not only to get tests, as you talked a little bit about, but the the long time it seems to take to get results. Was that Was that related to the CDC wanting to control the process originally and then deciding to branch it out? Or are there other reasons why testing has been just difficult? Yeah, really good question. I think like most of these questions, the answer is complicated, why results can take a while. So the test itself can take as little as four to six hours to be processed once it's on a machine. 
However, the turnaround time or the time to results varies greatly based on a number of factors. First, let me say that getting tested may become easier in the future, but until labs have the ability to escalate their testing capabilities, people will wait a long time for results to be delivered. So expect an initial wait time, which will, like once you've had the swab done, expect an initial wait time, which will vary based on the number of people being tested. We've seen turnaround times increase over the past few weeks as more people are being tested. So a couple weeks ago, the testing time when we sent out to a private lab was for around 24 to 48 hours, and now it's as long as several days. It's because they're being overwhelmed with the amount of people who are receiving testing, right? They're being over overwhelmed with the amount of like swabs that they get. And once the lab has received the sample, then you're looking at something different. You're looking at sort of the, the throughput. So how many tests can be run at one time or in a given period of time? If that's not a problem, then they may have other labs may have other problems like staffing issues. So do we have enough lab, lab techs, like enough human manpower to or woman power um, to uh, run these tests? Then you also are taking into account other things like inventory of all the components that are needed, like the availability of the chemical components that we need to run the test properly in the lab. Recently, there was a, actually an ongoing shortage of reagent needed to run the test. And then finally, how soon can the result be delivered back to the patient will be dependent on the methods of communication from the lab to the provider or another entity back to the patient. Now, I'm a doctor, but I also went to business school at Darden. So to borrow a term from my operations colleagues, there's a lot of uh, so-called waste in the system right now. Um, especially the wait time for the samples to be processed. But I expect that this will improve rapidly as lab systems really get up to speed. And the fact that UVA now has its own in-house testing capabilities is very um, positive to me as well. Dr. Webb, I appreciate you helping to paint a fuller picture, clearing up some of the confusion. Should people be wearing face masks in public? Should everyone be wearing face masks in public? And if not, who should? For the public, for people who are sick, so if you have a fever or if you're coughing and you actually have respiratory symptoms and you go outside of your home, um, you should, one, maintain social distancing, and two, you can wear a mask when you go outside of your home to, to get care or to get the essential things that you need. For people who are what we call asymptomatic, asymptomatic meaning without any symptoms at all, to wear a mask sort of defeats the point. I'll tell you why. It's mostly because whenever you wear a mask and you're not a trained provider, you continue to touch your face, um, including to touch the, the, both the front of the mask and the side of the mask to take the mask on and off. Now, while you're in the community, um, at some point, you may have gotten coronavirus or COVID-19 particles on the mask itself. And so by using the mask, which may then be embedded with particles, and then you're touching it to take it on and off, it sort of defeats the purpose and actually can make you higher risk of getting sick than if you didn't have a mask on at all and maintain the proper precautions, including um, but not limited to social distancing, so staying uh, six feet away from from people when you're out in public. I think there's also a lot of confusion on, is there a cure? Is there not a cure? What is the state of that? 
So far, there unfortunately is no cure. Um, there's no FDA-approved treatment today, and honestly, it may take months for an approved uh, treatment or vaccine. Now, being clinicians, we are willing to try other things. So in the news, you'll actually see a lot of articles about things that were tried in China, medications that were tried in China, medications that are tried in India, um, and so on and so forth. And even here in the United States, we are trying to find something that works. So if there's even a hint or a, a whiff of something that we've heard from other colleagues, we are going to take that to heart and decide whether or not a, um, a patient gets that medication. Now, that's not how we usually work. We usually work based on like purely evidence-based medicine. So we're talking about uh, randomized control trials and like accumulating a fair amount of data before we give something to someone. But right now there's no cure. Researchers, in addition to trying to uh, find a vaccine and go through that process of approval, are also looking into extracting antibodies and other helpful parts of uh, the blood from people who are previously recovered individuals. So those who have caught the coronavirus and then now are in sort of the so-called recovery phase from that. Um, there are a lot of very smart people trying to figure this out for us. But to date, there is no approved treatment, vaccine, or cure. And another question is, how long does COVID-19 live on contaminated surfaces? How long is it, is it active for? Yeah, so we are still working on limited data points when it comes to that. And so I will tell you what I know. Um, it depends on the type of surface. So again, limited studies on um, the ability of the virus to live on surfaces, but uh, recently, the New England Journal of Medicine uh, did give us a little bit of uh, information about this that I think could be useful. And this was a correspondence to the editor. And so, of course, it's not one of the um, big trials that we look at um, to practice evidence-based medicine. But what they found is that on plastic, it can last up to 72 hours, on cardboard, 24 hours, um, 48 hours or two days on stainless steel, um, and on copper, four hours. Um, they also looked at how long this could last in the air. Um, particularly, this is of importance for the social distancing and for us as clinicians, but it can hang out in the air for around three hours. Now, that was in a very, that was in a, in a box, right? That was in a closed experiment. Um, but I think what people really want to know is, is it safe? to have like their food delivered, for instance? Is it safe for them to open up any packages that they may have? And I think the answer is we don't really know. I think your highest risk in having a delivery to your home is in the face-to-face -face interaction that you have with the delivery person. And um, beyond that, you have to do whatever you feel is comfortable. So if you look at that study and say, oh, we can live on cardboard for 24 hours, I'm going to put this box, you know, I'm going to use gloves to take this off my box, or I'll just leave it on my porch or maybe put it in the garage or off to the side for 24 hours. That's completely up to you. We don't have any evidence to suggest that uh, you need to do that. But again, this situation is evolving so rapidly that, at this point, I would say do whatever you need to do to make yourself feel comfortable. I was hoping we could maybe end with um, the fact that we've heard, as you've said, the good advice about uh, social distancing, washing hands. But are there are there other strategies, other suggestions you have as a as a health professional for ways in which we can 
uh, we can be safer, we can we can keep ourselves sane as we as we all navigate this. Now, that's a two prong question. Um, keeping ourselves sane and uh, decreasing um, anxiety, and depression, kind of touched on that. Like whatever you do to keep yourself sane on a regular basis, try to find activities that are similar to that, but will still allow you to maintain social distancing. So if you are someone who like needs to exercise at a gym every day, um, you can try to get some of that equipment at home. There are also lots of apps and things available now where you can actually work out in the comfort of your own home. So keeping that up, going outside, super important. Um, if you are used to socializing, make sure you like are socializing from a digital standpoint. So having that FaceTime conversation or that um, online conversation with your friends may be important if you're someone who really needs to uh, maintain that connection. So whatever that means to you, go ahead and do it. Find a way to do it while you are um, maintaining social distancing. Um, for instance, we have a, uh, myself and a few of my friends, we like wine. And so we're like, oh, tonight, on Friday night at 9 p.m., let's all have one glass of wine together on, um, on Zoom. And so we're finding ways to make that work. Now, from a, a public health standpoint, in addition to the social distancing, washing hands or using hand sanitizer, avoiding touching the face with unwashed hands, Another important one is to avoid sharing anything that has come into contact with saliva. So that's both in the social environment, which makes a lot of sense, I think, but also like in your living environment. So in people that you are um, in your home with. And then also just getting adequate sleep and eating well-balanced meals to ensure a healthy immune system. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. If you have concerns or questions about the coronavirus in our area, tweet us at CVL Soundboard. My name's Mary Garner McGee. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Myrna Lasco and Jay Pun. This is Soundboard. Catch us at CVLSoundboard.org. <laughs>